0: It's great to see you here today, a beautiful day and a great chance to be together um, here at Twin Cities Church. Well, we are continuing with this series, which has been uh, really kind of fun, Um, dealing with very difficult questions. Ask has been the series. And our theme verse for this series has been from Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah 33, God says this, he says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. So you see, we've been looking at all these difficult questions, many of them that came from you actually months ahead of time to kind of see what are some of the areas that you have major questions of. And, uh, uh, and we've tried to see then uh, what are some of those answers, and not from a human perspective because that's really shallow and inadequate. But really, if we look at this verse here in Jeremiah 30, saying, "Hey, God is the one who um, who can, who is able and willing to provide us with with some answers." And so we get to dive in today. Today's question is simply this: Can I trust the Bible to be reliable? Is the Bible just another religious book written by humans and full of human error, or? Um, uh, well, like our world seems to tell us, or is it the inspired word of God? And and if so, can I put my trust and my faith in it? And and is it reliable? And I have to say, Pastor Mark last week did a wonderful job taking this amount of information, putting into one service, talking about the whole concept of creation, dealing with creation and evolution. And, uh, And mine is not quite as big, but almost as big, this amount of information to try to shove it in today. So if I speak a little fast, it's because I have a a fair amount to talk about, I'm, I'm going to do my best, and sometimes I get a little passionate too, so excuse that as well, but, but we're actually going to have some fun, if I can put it that way, tearing apart the Bible a little bit and looking at it in terms of it, is it something that is reliable for me, can I trust it to be true, and, and today we're going to look at seven unique things, you can grab your outline, seven unique things about the Bible that I believe will help you answer your questions about the validity of the Bible, the reliability of the Bible, and I do want to say this, I'm not going to be using a lot of Bible verses today. Because to use Bible verses to prove the Bible is kind of counterintuitive. It's kind of a logical fallacy to do that. The Bible says it's true, so it must be true about the Bible being true. We're not going to go there. I'll use a few verses to kind of be a part of things, but we'll be looking at science, at archaeology, at history, and a lot of different things working together to see if the Bible really holds water. Is it something that I can rely on significantly? And so all those things will happen. So if you want to grab your outline, there's some, there's some th- fill-in-the-blanks, not very many verses. And I left some space for notes. Some of you people are going to be way into some of the details I give you today, and some of you might go, whoa, that's a lot. And you don't have to write anything down, but you can. And there's a lot of resources available to get information. So seven things about the Bible, seven unique things about the Bible. First of all, the Bible is uniquely popular. The Bible is uniquely popular. We're going to have seven Ps today, actually. And so the popular is the first. And the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. There have been billions of Bibles printed Purchased, given away, et cetera, et cetera, over time. Best-selling book. Believe it or not, though, the Bible is also the best-selling book year after year, it's the best-selling book of the year every single year. So I looked and found out that Michelle Obama's book that she wrote it was the best-selling book in 2018. I supposed to be a really good book about her life, some of the different things. And she more than doubled the number two bestseller last year, which was a cookbook, which is kind of funny. But uh, Cookbook and Michelle Obama's, and she sold 3.4 million copies last year in 2018 of her book, which is just amazing. 3.4 million. I'll put that hand up here. The Bible, they they print and, and, and distribute more than 100 million copies last year and every year. So again, the fact that we don't make we, the fact that the Bible doesn't make the bestseller list, I think they just kind of go, Yeah, yeah, there's there's books and then there's the Bible, right? But just want to let you know that in that perspective, it, it is a huge, huge thing. And even with the Bible apps and electronic versions, the book itself is popular beyond belief. And so it doesn't even make the list because it's off the charts. It's presently translated in over thirty three hundred languages. How many written languages are there? I mean, 33, really 3300. And I read a news article stating that the most stolen book of all time was yes, you guessed it, the Bible. Apparently thieves missed the thou shalt not steal Part of the Ten Commandments I don't know, kind of disconnect there But um, here at Twin Cities Church There's no need to steal one We have Bibles out in the lobby That are there for you to take for yourself It's a gift so you don't have to steal it And if you know somebody even That would benefit from one You can take it and give it away So the Bible is undoubtedly uniquely popular Uniquely attacked as well But, but we, we don't have time to go into that Now this doesn't prove that the Bible is the word of God It doesn't prove you know that it's completely reliable and all that but but it does prove uniqueness and if the Bible is God's inspired word it would it w- wouldn't it make sense that it's that popular okay so we just kind of just start with a, a, a thought there number two, the Bible is uniquely put together it's uniquely put together. Uh, the Bible physically, there's 66 books in the Bible. They're written over 1,500 years span of time. That's huge. Written by f- over 40 authors of all walks of life, many walks of life. Written on three continents. Written in three different languages. Written on hundreds of controversial subjects with harmony and unity throughout, and that's a really big deal. That many people, that many cultures, on and on and on, that it would come together and work together. Now, spiritually, it's put together in this way. The Bible claims that it was put together by God through the many authors over those many years, the continents, languages, all that. And the concept of God's perfect inspiration and revelation coming upon imperfect people Perfect God, imperfect people. He's going to use them to somehow produce a reliable book that represents a perfect love of God. For some people, they just can't get over that. God, you know, People are just too imperfect to produce that. And it really isn't a question about people. It's a question about God. Is God powerful enough to make it happen this way? Really, that's the question. Is he powerful enough to make it happen this way? Could he do that? Would he do that? And then did he do that? Um, if it, if it, uh, is it absurd then to believe that it might be true. If we believe in a God that says, well, I I guess God could do that, well, then it allows it to happen even with imperfect man involved. So the Bible absolutely is uniquely put together, and it doesn't, again, prove that it's God's inspired word completely, but it is. But if it is, if it is God's inspired word, then it makes sense that it's uniquely put together as well. Number three, we're gonna go a little deeper here. Number three, the Bible is uniquely preserved The Bible is uniquely preserved. And I just want to read a verse here. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let me ask, how could the word of God stand forever unless it was well preserved so that it could stand forever? And the truth is that it's unbelievably preserved. One of the strongest supports of biblical authenticity and accuracy is what we would call manuscript evidence. Evidence seen in manuscripts. Now, uh, some of this might be a little dry for some of you, but I want to kind of cover this to make sure you understand this. Most manuscripts of biblical times were written on papyrus, which is basically kind of a reed they'd roll out. So it's a plant-based product in a sense, plant-based, or written on animal skins. And neither one of them were very durable over time. You know, they were just kind of writing for it to last for a little bit of- period of time. Um, It was difficult for any to survive any extreme uh, conditions and any conditions at all, except perhaps in very extreme dry areas or certain kind of protected caves under special conditions. So most ancient manuscripts of any sort, not just the Bible, but anything that was written a long time ago, uh, they are in small fragments. All we have is just little pieces and chunks of things, and they're quite difficult to read, and that's kind of obvious, written in funky languages, and they fade, and they get torn, and all those things. So consequently, we have no no original copies of biblical writings okay so what i mean by that is there's nothing from paul's hand itself we don't have paul's handwritten or if someone wrote for him we don't have anything from from moses's hand itself just like we have no original comp- copies of anything that ancient okay so any of the ancient writers we have nothing that are actual original copies but what we do have is an unbelievable amount of copies written with unparalleled accuracy. So we want to look briefly at both the amount and the accuracy to find out if the Bible is reliable. First of all, in the amount, we have nearly 25,000 manuscript copies of portions of the New Testament today. Some dated as early as the first, as the late first and early second century. So right after they were written, we actually do have copies of copies of, 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 of the original manuscripts here. So the earliest existing copy of an entire New Testament is dated around 350 AD. So not just books and letters and stuff, but the whole thing put together. So again, really, really early, really close to the time that it was, was assembled. Now, no other ancient document comes close to the amount of manuscripts, nor do they clump, come close to matching the short interval of time between completion of writing and existing manuscripts. You see, here's the issue. If something is written and then we don't have any record of it for like a thousand years, that's a lot of years for things to do. De- grade, for things to go bad, for missed copies and for things to happen. So if we've got a thousand-year gap or a 2,000-year gap, the chances of something being wrong or being changed over time is huge right so the closer you have to the to the time of origination of writing the more accurate it's likely to be and so that's what we have in the bible in the new testament so there's a slide up here i want to show you this to you and it's going to be i don't need you to read it but it's a picture that's coming up here that we want to show you this it the perspective here is the the in red are the copies of the new testament manuscripts that we have again dated as close to within 50 to 100 years after the times of writing very short very close to the time that it was. Up above in blue, we have a number of the other um, annals of Tacitus. The one right above it is Homer's Iliad, and you, you know we study that in school and stuff and no one would say well there's no such thing as homer's iliad of course there is and yet the pieces of fragments of manuscript that we have of homer's iliad is illustrated in that next blue section above the red Do you see the difference there see some of us are visual learners for us you get a chance to kind of look at it and go holy cow that is that is exponentially way way more than we have in the new testament yes again also in time uh because with the iliad by homer There's only 643 manuscripts still surviving. It was written about 900 BC. The earliest fragments we have were 500 years later, and the first complete copy is from the 13th century. So we're talking more like you know 1500, 1800, 2,000 year gap. Now that's all that's fine. I just want you to understand that when you're talking about ancient manuscripts, that's not only, in fact, that's not. That's better than the norm, even for the Iliad. You can see some of the other, other works up there. So the fact that we have such an amazing amount of manuscript evidence for the New Testament is just huge. So that's for the amount. Let me talk accuracy for a second. For the Old Testament, the earliest manuscripts dated up, up, up until within the last 100 years, about 900 to 1,000 A.D., so we were about 14 to 1,500-year gap of when we had anything written saying it was the Old Testament, but it was dated at about 900 to 1,000 A.D., after Jesus. So there's this pretty good-sized gap, and so a lot, of, a lot of people would get skeptical and say, well, see, that's just, that's just evidence. There's no way that really represents you know, the Word of God, really the original Bible. And that was always a question until they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls? A lot of information online, you can get that. used to be book learning. Now you go online to learn things. The Dead Sea Scrolls, in a nutshell, a series of 11 caves were discovered in the 1940s and 50s. Here's a picture of one of them. 11 caves, they were discovered. And uh, the next picture will show us some of what was found inside in these amazing discoveries here. Uh, And we'll go ahead and pause on that slide. Uh, That contained earthen jars with scrolls inside What was there was unbelievably well-preserved manuscripts. 900-plus manuscripts recovered. About 150 were biblical. So it wasn't just Bible stuff. It was a bunch of old manuscripts that somehow survived over the centuries here in these very dry caves, in these earthen vessels here that were found. And so... uh, The next slide will actually show you a picture of a fragment of one of the pieces here from the book of Isaiah and amazing the clarity uh, uh, that we see now. Well, here's the deal. So 11 different caves over, over in the 1940s and 1950s, they found these scrolls. And what happened was the scientists and everybody took them off and we heard nothing about them. You see, you can't just rip them open. They would just dissolve into shreds. So they're very carefully restoring and looking and now analyzing you know, the Bible, but a bunch of other manuscripts as well. And decades went by, and the world waited and waited and waited to see. You see, what the skeptics were hoping to find out was, sure enough, it's very, very early dated manuscripts. And when it comes up, and we're going to compare the Bible from the Dead Sea Scrolls to these other ones that we've been calling the Bible, <laughs> look how different they are. You see you see the problem here? Your Bible isn't accurate. So after waiting and waiting and waiting... It wasn't really conclusively released until, believe it or not, the 1990s. Um, they received lots of attention. They were baited, dated back to the first century BC, so it's before Jesus' time. They're about a thousand years older than anything else in the Bible. And again, would it reveal flaws? The great Christian periodical called U.S. News and World Report. Reports, July 7, 1997, and many other sources, and I'll do it in a nutshell, though it's a long article, amazingly accurate amazingly accurate. They have proven the accuracy and the preservation of the Old Testament. So instead of it disproving it, what it really did is they looked at this and looked at this and went, no way. How does something 1,500 years earlier just line up like this? These fragments when we compared them to do this, allowed them to assemble and to prove the validity and the accuracy of Scripture over that time. And to me, this makes sense if this is true. The Jewish scribes, the people that copied this, they get handed this book of Genesis, the book of the beginnings and, and they're, they're going to copy it to have another copy This one's getting old And they're going to word by word Letter by letter Hebrew letter by Hebrew letter For most of the Old Testament Copy this down And they aren't just going to do a 9 to 5 job And do a good enough job They are translating the word of God This is God's very words to us And I don't want to make a mistake God is perfect He demands and deserves perfection. I'm going to copy it perfectly. And so that's why there is so much accuracy of this over the years, if indeed this is true. To them, they didn't want to misinterpret and misrepresent God. And I have to say, inevitably over time, as, as humans have been involved, there have been some minor mistakes, copying mistake made over the years, very small. But we have so many manuscripts we compare them to to determine the most accurate version. So that's what God has done as well as when there's been many, 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 we can see that, oh, this article here is a little different or whatever. But it's just been right there. Now, I may have lost you with all of that, but the bottom line is this. The Bible is uniquely preserved It doesn't necessarily prove beyond a doubt that it's God's word, that it's totally inspired, totally perfect, totally reliable, all of that. But if it is all of those things, wouldn't it make sense that God would preserve it that way? Wouldn't God want to say without a shadow of a doubt, I don't want anybody to be able to say, yeah, but, but, but. He said, there it is. By far better than any other writing, by any other manuscript, any other thing that's come out of history. Next on number four, the Bible is uniquely proven. The Bible is uniquely proven. And again, if the Bible is God's word, then like God himself, it will be historically accurate um, uh, as as God is. I found that I found this is a major area of, of skepticism for many people, certainly for unbelievers, but even for Christians themselves. I find to kind of see them kind of backpedal get getting wishy-washy. You see, many believers will believe in the accuracy of the teachings of the Bible. Yes, I believe Jesus said, love one another and, and, and do good and all those sorts of things like that. But they, they've heard so much talk about so many historical errors and contradictions in the Bible that they aren't willing to stand up for the inerrancy of scripture well there's so many contradictions and you know this has been proved wrong and that's but, oh i guess it has well well you know really what i like about the bible is that it, it's all about you know living and loving god and all that it is about living and loving god but it's also unbelievably accurate and i found i'm going to take just a few minutes today to try to help you not do the i give up you must be right i'm wrong on this kind of stuff that goes on here uh what you need to know is that archaeological study has actually upheld the historical accuracy of the Bible over and over and over and over again, and it's happening today. There are ongoing periodicals uh, printed online and in print, Biblio- Bible archaeology review, etc., cetera, et cetera, out there, that are doing ongoing studies and revealing again and again that, you know what the Bible said that you used to say was wrong? It's actually right. General statements by the world's, some of the world's leading archaeologists, Nelson Gleek said, No archaeological discovery has ever controverted biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or in exact detail historical statements in the Bible. He's saying it's right there, and I love this one. And by the same token, proper evaluation of Bible descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. He's saying we continue to make discoveries that we go, wow, that's what the Bible said, but we didn't used to know it. In fact, some people are even using the Bible to help find things. You know, The Bible said there was a city between this and this. Well, we don't know of any of that, but let's go over here and dig because based on what it says, whoa, thanks, Bible. You know what I mean? So it's actually helping historians, helping archaeologists along the way. Um, Miller Burroughs, a Yale archaeologist, that bastion of Christian learning Yale, on the whole, archaeological work has unquestionably strengthened confidence in the reliability of the scripture record. These are secular scientists, archaeologists saying, you know what, the Bible's got it going on. They are helping us, and it's right on. Now, some examples. I just want to go deep. We're doing some overviews today. I'm going to just do a couple of examples. that will not just say, yeah, there's good stuff. But let me give you some examples. Allow us to go deep in some little snapshots. Uh, In Genesis, around the time of Abraham, the Bible talks about a group of people called the Hittites. And for years and years and years and years, for centuries and centuries, historians, skeptics would point and say, See, the Bible is just a bunch of made-up stuff. There are no Hittites. There are no records of any Hittites anywhere. It's the Hittites and the Huckamites and the Huckabuckabeansockites. It's all those people. You made them all up. It's just a part of what your Bible is. It's fables. It's stuff written up there, except all of a sudden they found... One record of, of Hittite civilization. Well, okay, there's there's one thing, but it, it could have been. It. Well, okay, there's 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 two things, but still, now as a result of archaeology, they have discovered hundreds of references for more than 1,200 years of a Hittite civilization. Oops, we were wrong. Well, about that, you know, because, you know, the Hittites are there, and for years Christians had just kind of mm, I'll bite my lip, but you know what? Archaeology, science has helped us say. We, have, we the, the, those that believe in the Bible, actually have accuracy and historicity here. Critics also used to believe that Moses couldn't have written the first five books of the Bible. He could not have done it, as the Bible claims, because there was not a written language back then that was complex enough to write those first five Genesis, Exodus, but it stems to drowning. First five books of the Bible. The, the writing wasn't good enough, so someone had to write it way later. So consequently, all the stories were made up. And of course, if Moses said he wrote it, but he didn't, you know, and they just pointed into this. And so this whole concept that there wasn't a written language was out there. was called the documentary hypothesis saying, house of cards, the whole thing falls down. Now, however, as a result of archaeology, the Ebla tablets were discovered in northern Syria in the 1970s. Okay, so this is fairly recent history here. Uh, They found some tablets in the 70s that were written 1,000 years before Moses. And these tablets contained written records of laws, customs, and events, all in the same part of the world where Moses lived, so do you understand what that means? There wasn't a written language that complex. Well, actually, we found a written language that was that complex. In fact, pretty much the same, and it's even 1,000 years earlier than, 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 what, than what we said here. Oops. Amazingly enough, the documentary hypothesis is still taught, even though much of its original ideas have been proven false. A world that won't believe, just like as Mark talked last week about evolution and creation, a world that won't believe in a God has to come up with something is going to hold on to something. An AP article in March 1992, I love this headline, New Study Backs Biblical Version of Jericho's Demise. A study was done, again, in the 90s. The archaeologists discovered that uh, because, you know, the story of Jericho, we don't even have a Jericho. Oops, what we found a Jericho is we start excavating, and they found that if you're going to attack a city and, and an army comes from the outside, which direction do the walls typically fall? They fall in. You're, you're launching big rocks at catapults and you're attacking from the outside and the walls cave in. Strangely enough, archaeologists discovered that the walls fell out rather than the normal inward direction, which allowed the Israelites to enter the city, as the Bible tells. Also, the event took place after spring harvest, they were able to find out, which is what the Bible says, and that the Israelites burned the city, which is also what the Bible said. Whoa, we discovered Jericho and it's just like the Bible said the walls came and found the land. On and on it goes goes, folks. We just run out of time, but previously doubted but now proven Solomon Solomon's glories and riches, the details in Ezra regarding the Babylonian captivity. And I had to pull one out currently, so I went online and again through Biblical archaeology review. In twenty eighteen, just last year. See Pontius Pilate, he is known in the New Testament for being the one who kind of passed the did not kind of passed the death sentence on on Jesus. Well Pontius Pilate, that local governor of the Judean region at that time. But the only problem is they had no historical record of Pontius Pilate. If you go to Roman records of, of who's the, I was going to say who's the Pope, who's the, who's the you know, the emperor, thank you, and all the guys on down, there's no Pontius Pilate. Now, admittedly, Pontius Pilate is nowhere near the, you know, Nero and all those guys, but he's way down here, but there was no record except except they did a while ago actually find one. One other reference to Pontius Pilate, and in 2018, just this last year, they actually found a Pontius Pilate seal ring. Just within the last year, folks, that they found this. This would be a ring that probably he didn't use, but maybe one of his designees, that when an official order comes through, you put the seal on, you know what I'm talking about, into the hot wax or whatever that they'd use like that. So they actually now have a second piece of evidence. Maybe Pontius Pilate, he is real. I didn't ever doubt it, did you? I mean, I, I don't know, but, but if you were skeptical about the Bible, and I need to see historical proof, it continues to happen. It continues to happen. But I do want to be up front with you here today. There are difficulties in the Bible, things that haven't yet uh, been, th- they haven't been presently proven and explainable by man at this point, but... As time passes by, more and more what we'd call former difficulties are being explained by archaeology, science, new discoveries, and the like. And one of the issues is that many so-called scientific errors, where they would point at errors at scripture, are often from a misunderstanding of the Hebrew culture and a misunderstanding of the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek texts as well. So folks, when people start pointing out all the incongruities and discrepancies, I usually ask them, like, which ones are you talking about? And usually they don't have them. But what we're seeing is science, archaeology, et cetera, is coming alongside and actually saying, boy, this is like totally accurate. This is right here. And so unquestionably, we have attacks. But the Bible is uniquely proven, as it would be if it's the word of God. Well, number five, you guys are doing great. The Bible is uniquely perfect. The Bible is uniquely perfect. These middle three have the the most juice, the most oomph in them here. So this is the third one the manuscript evidence, and we just looked like, at the archaeological evidence, and now we're going to look at prophecies. If the Bible is God's perfectly inspired word, word then all of the prophecies it contains would have to be perfectly correct. There, there, would be, there could be no room for error of any kind. You see, in Old Testament times, the appointed and anointed prophet of God would be executed if he was wrong even once. Regardless of his his track record at that point, make 99 perfectly accurate predictions, prophecies. Yay, you're 99 out of 99. Miss one, no one goes, well, 99 out of 100 is still really good. They go, you're dead. You know, stoned or off with your head, you're gone. Because if you're truly speaking for God, how often is God wrong? Never. And you were wrong once. Well, on one level, whoever wants to be a prophet, right? But, you know, if God is speaking to you, simply pass it on. It's easy. It's, you're just going to accurately reflect, reflect God. So it may sound extreme, but that's what was going on. There's no, uh, there's no danger for the true spokesman for the Lord if he's true. So why should the written word of God, if it is God's word, have any different demands or requirements? If it's truly God's inspired word, then it must be perfectly accurate. And I guess the more extreme and unlikely the prophecy fulfilled, the more it would actually prove it's the reliable word of God. I mean, if it's a little tiny prophecy, you go, eh, I mean, like for me, I'm going to prophesy that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, one for one. (laughs) You're like, yeah, right. Okay. So very easy, easy to do, very easily seen, very easy proven. Pretty, the, so, so the, and you kind of go, John, there's nothing godly about that. Okay. That's ridiculous. So the more extreme the prophecy is, the further out, the more extreme that it is, the more unlikely it's going to just happen. Like the sun's going to happen to come up tomorrow. So when we look at the Bible, the amount of predictive prophecies contained the Bible is staggering. And guys, I got to do the research. So here you go. eighteen. 1,817 specific Bible passages containing 8,352 verses, that's about 27% of the Bible, is prophecy. It's important to God. About a quarter, little over a quarter of the Bible is prophecy, and only four books of the 66 don't contain any prophecy. That blew my mind. 62 out of 66 have some form of prophecy, it's everywhere. Okay, so now let's me let me, let's snapshot for a second. Maybe you've heard about all the predictive prophecies about the life of Jesus, all the, all the prophecies that said this is what's going to happen. And it was things like the virgin birth, he'd be born in Bethlehem, descended from King David, he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, killed on the cross, no bones broken in the process, buried in a rich man's tomb, the resurrection, and on and on, all these things that are there. And, and the odds of, of even several of those prophecies being fulfilled are flat out astronomical, Okay, just like it, it couldn't happen, and but yet I'm going to pause because there's a problem. Because someone could say, "Well, what record do? What proof do we really have that Jesus did all those things?" I mean, the Bible says it, okay. But if we're going to lay the Bible aside, we don't really have proof of very much of that. So let's push that aside. And you know what? Although I don't want to push it aside, I'm going to allow that right now, because the Bible has so much more there. The messianic prophecies are huge. But if for some, but somebody doesn't want to receive that, we're going to move past it and look at other issues that are historically provable, just to avoid that argument. So things like the remarkable history of the nations are given in multiple verses and happened. The sequence of world empires is foretold, and it happened. Prophecies of the Jewish restoration in multiple books happened. And in Joshua McDowell's excellent, it's a little dated now, but he's done several versions, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and there's many excellent books out there, but this one's wonderful. In, it, in that book, there's an extensive technical analysis and it's done of, of specific prophecies regarding 12 different places, specific provable places, all historically verifiable. And all 12 were pros- prophesied in the Old Testament, okay? Old Testament prophecy over here, and only one was completed by the time that, that Jesus was here, uh, by, by Jesus' days. Places such as Nineveh and Babylon, Palestine, the Jerusalem enlargement. Um, and I won't go into details for the sake of time, but... But for seven of the eight predictive prophecies about Babylon alone, only one of the 12, Peter Stoner of Science Speaks, that's his publication uh, and who he works for, comes up with a five billion to one chance of completion. One of the 12, only eight of the predictive prophecies there, a five billion to one chance of completion. That have happened. That's pretty staggering. But if you, if you think five billion is big, hold on to this. Prophecies regarding the future of 8 of these 12 places, 8 of the 12, plus 3 others that have been, and again, it's written about in this book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, 11 places were considered. And the probability of all of those prophecies coming true, if you're a note taker, I'm kidding, you don't have room for this many zeros on your page, 1 in 5.76 times 10 to the 59th power. Start writing zeros. Keep writing. Keep writing. Keep writing. Okay? I wanted to help you visualize of these. These aren't all the prophecies in Scripture, just these 11 that are proven, actually proven. Any scientist in the world, go and research says yes, this happened. This huge number, if I could put it in perspective, let's say you had a silver dollar. And we could put, I don't know, 3,000 silver dollars I'm guessing, on this rug up here that I'm on on this stage. Um, but let me put that in perspective. If we were going to, uh, if it was 3,000 to 1 odds, I would put an X on the bottom of one of silver dollars and put it face down on this rug, and maybe there's 3,000, and you would, I'd have you come up, and you'd get one chance to pick that coin that, it, that was marked. Make sense, right? 3,000 to 1, not very good odds. Okay, that's 3,000 to 1. Let me give you a picture of what this would look like, that number. It's been estimated that the whole universe contains about 2 trillion galaxies, got that, 2 trillion, it's a lot of zeros right there, each containing about 100 billion stars, did the math, 2 trillion times 100 billion, and if each one of those were about the size of our own sun, although I've heard that our sun's a small star, I don't know if you've heard that too, but even if they were the size of our our star, uh, which is about a million times the volume of our planet, so multiply by a million, and now we're talking how many earths, I'm blowing your mind, aren't I, let's just keep going though, if we took our 5 times 10 to the 15th power, that many silver dollars, we could make all of the stars in all of our galaxies. That amount of stars that I talked about, I'd make them, lump them all together, melt them down or whatever. It would be that many coins, all the stars in all of our galaxies, over 200,000 times. So let's say we marked one of those dollars and, and just kind of stirred it into the pile before we made the stars. Get the picture? humongous pile stir 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 making stars these gazillions that's my word gazillions and gazillions of stars out there made up of silver dollars and now we're going to blindfold you and we're going to say go pick the one but you only get to pick one good luck with that traveling at 600 miles an hour 24 7 day and night no breaks sorry there's no time for that 600 miles an hour it would take that person 50 billion years to look over just one single galaxy one galaxy down, two trillion minus one to go. Do you get the picture that I'm saying here? It can't happen. It just, but, but sometimes those pictures just help me go because otherwise it's just big numbers. It, it's amazing. The odds of all the prophecies coming true regarding these 11 places. And folks, we sometimes backpedal with the Bible and go, oh, it's just, I don't know. And you know, well, at least it's got good stuff in it. It's got great stuff in it, and it's accurate, and it's right, and it's reliable, and it's perfect. And it's true. Because these odds sound like God-like odds to me. What do you think? Do they make you think twice about the unique perfection of the Bible? About its reliability? It's right there, folks. And all of this that I'm talking about is the provable stuff. Well, number six, the Bible is uniquely purposed. The Bible is uniquely purposed. And I just, for a break, after all that science, I brought some some stuff in see either Bible books are written for a lot of purposes are written for you know uh, motivation developing the leader within you you can do it you know right here uh, some are written for education or instruction my daughter's eighth grade math book that she was thrilled that I was taking and said dad please leave it at church that'd be great <laughs> Entertainment, Calvin and Hobbes. You can't beat some Calvin and Hobbes. I get some woo-hoo. I'm right there, too, because it's both fun, but also hmm, too. But entertainment through that. Some books are designed just to be pretty, you know? You sit at the coffee table book, right? They got pictures, and for us guys, we're like, cool cars. Some of you go, can I borrow that, you know, book after you're done? And so, so books from And I had to bring this one in because my kids are no longer little, but I wish they were because I've got all kinds of books like this, you know, the Hungry Giant's birthday cake, and then you can do voices, a cherry cake! cried that. Anyway, entertainment. entertainment. Entertainment, to to deal with kids, to let the big kid be a little kid, right? All those things. Books are written for a lot of purpose and for a lot of of issues along the way. And, you know, the Bible does many of these things, but it has one singular unique purpose. God's inspired words put down in print would have to have a unique purpose, and that's to point the way to an uh, intimate relationship with God through the power and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Old Testament and New Testament alike point to the carrier of salvation, uh, which is new life and eternal life in Christ Jesus. The way of salvation, that's God's free gift offered to us by grace simply because he loves us, not because we deserve it. And third, the receivers of salvation is anyone who responds in faith to his offer, even today, to say, I want that. Other religious books? Well, the Bible is just one religious book. Others are just so different. I'm not going to say they're bad. I don't want to put anything down, but they're just very different. The Book of Mormon is stories about peoples and nations which have no historical record. The Quran is a collection of poetical commentaries and liturgical instructions. The Vedas, which is Hinduism, ancient compilation of mysterious, subjective, vague musings about life. The writings of Buddha, Confucius, Tao, and others. All similar collections of sayings and or instructions for living. But you see, only the Bible exists to bring about a rich relationship with God and has unique qualities we discussed earlier to support it. So in the midst of all this perfection, all this stuff, and it's not meant to be a science book, folks, is it? God is, isn't trying to prove everything and almost isn't trying to prove anything, but he's revealing himself in, in, in all beauty. And it's about the relationship. Well, number five, then the Bible is uniquely powerful. The Bible is uniquely purposed, and it reveals this, this relationship with God that he wants with us. And the Bible is powerful in that it has power to achieve its purpose, to bring new life in Jesus Christ, to, to, um, to significantly transform lives miraculously and eternally, to communicate God's love and desires for us. Hebrews 4.12, uh, for the word of God is living and active. It's alive, it's alive and it's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then 2 Timothy 3.16 that that Pastor Mark read earlier. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's God's essence. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's uniquely powerful to achieve what it wants to achieve, folks, if you let it. You see, maybe you're a businessman and you're, you're burdened with the pressures of financial responsibility in your life. you you don't have the money you think you need and the more time you spend working the less time you have at home with your family now things are strained with your wife and your kids i just want to say to you the bible offers you a prescription for peace and contentment in life the bible does that god god desires to show you a balance in the midst of the mess if you'll let him he wants to talk to you in his word in the bible because there's power in the bible maybe you're a mom you're working in your home you're working out of your home (laughs) You put on the front of being so put together, because everybody else is, right? And that's what you're supposed to do. Oh, if they only knew the doubts, the questions, the frustrations, the insecurities that rage inside. God has powerful answers for you, mom, in the Bible, to change your life if you listen. Maybe you're a senior citizen and you're wondering what the rest of your life is all about. Maybe you're just ticked off that society seems to relegate the elderly in our culture to just kind of be off the side to, to get out of the way and you're really wondering what's next, the truth is God has a plan for you in your golden years. He has a marvelous plan, and it's right there in the Bible. It's right there, and it's powerful. Student, you're struggling with peer pressure. You're struggling with parents that get on your case too much. You're wondering what your future holds. God offers you power to be strong, power to go on, power to overcome the world if you're interested, and the Bible contains all that. I want to close with a story. There was a man named Ramad in India, and he was a member of a gang of robbers. Made good money at it, too. Well, one time while he was robbing a house, he noticed a, a small black book with very thin pages inside. So while he's stealing valuable things, he actually grabs a book because he says, this will be perfect for rolling cigarettes, these thin pages. They're perfect size and perfect, perfect. you know density and thinness. So he grabs it. And so every night after that, he would tear a page out of the book, and he'd roll up his tobacco in it and smoke a cigarette. And he would do that night after night because it's a good-sized book. He was able to do that for a while and have a smoke. Well, eventually he noticed that that the small words on the page were written in his language. And so before smoking, as long as he was sitting there, he would rip out the page, and he would just read what was on the page. And then he would tobacco it up and roll it and smoke it through that. And then one night after he read a page... He knelt on the ground and he asked the Lord Jesus to forgive his sins and to come into his heart because of what he read. And then he turned himself into the police, much to their amazement. Ramad, the bandit from India, became a follower of Jesus Christ. And in prison, he led many, many, many others to Jesus. And I, 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 I share that story and read that story. I see that he simply read the Bible. He didn't hear any emotional preaching It wasn't any hellfire and brimstone kind of words about judgment and threats and all those sorts of things. He simply heard God's voice calling to him because he read a page at a time in the Bible, and he responded. And that's, I guess, where I want to leave you today, not telling you to go smoke the Bible. (laughs) But to ask you what is your response today, uh, what about you? If the Bible is indeed reliable, as I think we've seen, and, and the word of God, the proven word of God that can be completely trusted. Well, what does that mean to you? Maybe it means for some of you, just start. Start reading it, you know, with or without the smoke, right? It's worth a shot. Look what it did for Ramad just because he started and he didn't even mean to. <laughs> Maybe for some of us, just read it with more confidence and allow God to speak to you that I no longer have to kind of read and read between the lines and what does it really mean and does it really mean to say, this is God, man. And he's revealing himself to me. Maybe for you, it's get to know it better. Stop apologizing for it. Use it as a sword of the spirit that Ephesians 6 talks about to be able to say, um, this is living and active, powerful and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword. Folks, I absolutely believe the Bible is reliable. I will stand on it. And more importantly than me, others, and I believe God stands on it. It's God's breath. And, um, and he desires it to be a part of your life because it reveals him in a unique and a precious way. And let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, the chance to talk about you today, God, because when we're talking about the Bible, it's an expression, it, it, it's a statement of you, it's a revelation of you, God. Father, thank you for that, that, that you're so gracious to reveal yourself, that you've that You've. You've given us a Bible in its perfection and in its beauty and its entirety, God, and um, all the things we've looked at today, God, some of it's so technical, and yet in its simplest form, you love us, and you want that relationship with us, God. So we embrace that. Father, I pray if there's anybody here today that maybe doesn't know a lot about the Bible, but this whole Bible and Jesus thing sounds great, God, that they would pursue you, they would open their heart to you, and even to receive the free gift of Jesus today. But God, for many of us, I think the Bible is something that we get to from time to time. At least we talk about it on Sundays at church. God, it sits on our shelf or it sits in a cabinet or in a drawer. God, I pray that that would just be a burning light in our homes and our hearts, even this week, that we would respond in a way that would give you tribute to this perfect word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you take out your connection card that, that Pastor Mark referred to earlier, and again, letting us know that you're uh, that you're here today, but more importantly, just a chance to respond to the service. If you have any comments or questions, any prayer requests on the back, um, we'd love to, uh, to hear from you and be able to engage with you in that way. Um, uh, like I say, just a great way to stay connected to our church. We'll be receiving our offering here in just a moment. You can drop this in the offering when it goes by, and Um, First-time guests, we have no pressure on you to give at all. We want to make sure you understand that and remind remind you that we have a gift for you out at the Welcome Center. Um, And we'll be listening to our band here for a moment as we receive our offering, and then I'll have a chance to come up and close our service in a moment. Well, next week we get to follow this up uh, Ron, upon the series strategically in that we're looking at what does the Bible say about current issues. Now, if we don't know if the Bible is reliable, then what it says about the current issues maybe doesn't matter. But I think today we can say, yes, what the Bible is saying, everything behind it is accurate and it's reliable and it's trustworthy. So consequently, it matters a great deal what the Bible does have to say about a number of different uh, current issues as well. So we'll be talking about that and looking forward to that uh, next week. I also want to let you know, remind you, that this is our our spring quarter emphasis for our community groups. And so it's a chance for you, if you're not in one of our community groups, a great way to be connected to help grow even in our study of the word together, but in in our fellowship, our community. You can find out about that in the lobby to see if there's a place where you can kind of plug in and give it a try. This is a great time to do that in the spring. I want to let you know that just by chance... It's the next quarter starting here tomorrow. And so the next quarter meaning we have a Bible reading plan. And inside your program, I I just laugh, you know, how God works it out. Like, wouldn't you know if you decided that maybe you do want to engage with the Bible, here's an actual plan to get you going on that. So there's an opportunity to avail yourself of that if that fits for you too. So um, let's stand together. I want to let you know that um, prayer, we believe, is very powerful. And the Bible says it's very powerful. We have some of our prayer team up here on your left in the front Uh, just some wonderful loving people who really love the Lord and are committed to prayer and I'd call them prayer warriors. They wouldn't, but I call them that. And so if you have a prayer issue that even right now, right after the service, you want to take uh, to them, they'd love to just spend some time and pray with you and you can can make that happen as well up here. Well, let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for your word, the perfection of who you are. And Father, I was just reflecting even during the the time of the offering how um, Lord, I sharing with one of my sons in high school, Father, and him sharing how much grief he gets at high school about what he believes and, and feeling like he doesn't have much to stand on. God, help us to know that we have you to stand on and what's there is strong and firm and a, and a mighty foundation, Lord. And may that give us um, courage in our lives day to day, Lord, and may that give us a trust and a faith in you, Lord, that will affect each step we take. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. amen.